Good morning. It is good to have you here in Bellingham, those of you in Skagit, those of the Trinity Church of God in Boca Raton and watching online at the live stream. Uh, good to have you with us in the second week of the Calm series. Last weekend, uh, after one of our services, a friend of mine, he and his family had been at church. They were on their way home and uh, had an issue with the tire on their van. And it wasn't just a flat tire and it wasn't just a blowout. I mean, this tire like exploded off the rim. And so he took the picture of it, and he posted on Facebook. They just just come from church. They weren't even home yet. Posted on Facebook, talked about the tire, and then he said, Oh, well, I, I'm not getting my panties in a wad. And, uh, <laughs> and so if you're right now saying, Why would he say that? You weren't here last weekend. And so I would love to have you go online and watch last weekend's uh, message. Uh, you may notice maybe some empty chairs here today. It's because of last weekend's message. And so uh, we're glad that you're here. Uh, we're in this series, Calm in the Chaos. And, um, and, and with this, uh, we, um, we want to learn what does God's word have to say about this ep- epidemic of anxiety and worry in our world, in our country, in our churches, in our very lives. And the concept of the, of the uh, four-week series came from a book that Max Licato wrote called Anxious for Nothing. And the whole word CALM and the acronym there, using that for the four weeks, came from him. In that book, he, uh, he said these words, the, wrote these words, the presence of anxiety is unavoidable. The prison of anxiety is optional. The fact that there are going to be things in life that causes us to worry, to have fear, to be stressed, be anxious, those are going to happen. But we have a choice on whether or not we're going to allow those things to choke us, to to, um, imprison us, to handcuff us. And that's what we're talking about. We're looking into God's Word, and particularly we're looking at a section of Scripture in the book of Philippians. And for these four weeks of this series, we're camping on those, letting those be the launching pad for these four weeks to learn how we can grow in the, uh, the ability to be calm in the midst of chaos. And I want to remind you as we get into this again today, that the author of these words had every reason in the world to be filled with worry and anxiety. And he writes to people, the church in Philippi, and they have every reason in the world to be filled with worry and anxiety. And in that, as we looked last week, he starts with these words when he says, rejoice, this present tense imperative, like be living rejoicingly, constant right now, in the Lord, not in your circumstances, not in the situation, but in the Lord, because you can always find something in the Lord to rejoice about. And the song that never ends, he says it again, and rejoice. Let your gentleness, this Christ-like character, be evident to all, that it would be your, your response in these kind of things, not a reaction with this promise that the Lord is near, not only in proximity, that he will never leave us or forsake us, but in perspective, in light of eternity, these are light and momentary afflictions. That's what we talked about last week. And some of you right now are saying, Why couldn't you have been that concise last week? What would we have done with the other 40 minutes? Of course I'm not going to be that concise. Jesus talks about this concept of of worry and stress and anxiety multiple different times. And there was a time when he was telling a story using a metaphor to talk about this transformational, life-giving, living gift from God called the Word. And he's using the metaphor of a farmer that throws seed out and that the seed represents the Word of God, and that our lives are like soil. And he talks about different things that might hinder or hamper or deter the work of God's Word in our life, that would keep it from being most impactful, to being most effective, to having the greatest um, impact in our lives. And amongst other things, 
He says this in Mark chapter 4. The worries of this life, the worries of this life come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. That this concept of, of the worries that we carry around in this world, it has the capacity to diminish the impact of God's word, his transformation word in our life. It has the capacity to render this life-giving Word of God sterile and unfruitful in our life. Now, let's be honest. Some of you are here, and you may not care about your spiritual journey. I'm really glad you're here. You may not care about what the Word of God does for you. I'm really glad you're here. You may be here for a number of reasons. You might be here because this topic, the subject matter we're talking about, you're interested to hear what the Bible has to say about it. So glad you're here. You might be here because... You did something wrong and your parents made you come or your spouse made you come. I apologize that they're using church as a punishment, but we're glad you're here. You might be here because someone very attractive invited you and how can you say no? Regardless, even if you don't care about God's word spiritually taking root in your life, you've got to agree with this, that worry can destroy your life. No show of hands, no vote. How many of you have ever stayed up in the middle of the night, been woken in the middle of the night, been restless in your sleep because of something you're worried about, something you're stressing over, something you're anxious about, some fear, some uncertainty, and it, and it impacts your sleep? Or maybe, maybe in a season where there's a lot of anxiety and worry and stress, you take it out on those who you love the most that are closest to you, your fuse is short, you, you lash out at them, and you realize it's not them, it's this worry and this stress, but it's wrecking your relationships. Or maybe it's not even the relationships. How many of you have ever had that knot in the pit of your stomach because of something that, that's just kind of weighing on you out there? Maybe it's even impacted your digestive system in ways that we won't talk about. Or maybe you've had headaches because of the tension. Or your neck and your shoulders and your back just get so tensed up and all of this. You've got worry lines in your forehead. You see, it's no wonder that a heavenly father who loves us and wants the best for us would say, I don't want you living that way. I didn't create you to live in a way that you spend nights sleepless and you destroy relationships and your whole body breaks down. I want to see you have a life that is flourishing and rising above this worry and this stress. There's a man named uh, Don Joseph Goey, and he was, uh, for many years, he managed the psychiatry department at the Stanford Medical uh, School, so pretty smart guy. He wrote a book called The End of Stress, and in that book he says this, the stress hormones that worry dumps into your brain have been linked to shrinking brain mass, lowering your IQ, being prone to heart disease, cancer, and premature aging, predicting marital problems, family dysfunction, and clinical depression, and making seniors more likely to develop dementia and Alzheimer's. See, when you came in, you had things you were worried about. Now you have to worry about the worry that you have the things to worry about. I just exponentially multiplied that for you. It's like, great, now I have to worry about the worry that I have and all the worries that I've got. In this book, The End of Stress, um, he cites a study that had been taken with a, a group of participants over an extended amount of time. And in this study... They had all of these participants write down everything that they were worried about, everything they were stressed about, everything they were anxious about, everything they were, had fears about, you know, immediate and future and ongoing, uh, small and life-altering, just write them all down. And after an extended season, they went back to these people with these lists, and the finding was this. 85% of the things that they had on their list that they were worried about never happened. They just didn't happen. 
they were worrying needlessly about things that didn't even come to fruition. Of the 15% of things that actually did happen, 79% of the people said we were able to actually deal with them far better than we anticipated, and we learned incredible life lessons that were so valuable we wouldn't want it any other way. So the conclusion was this of this study, that 97% of the things that we worry, stress, filled with anxiety about, 97% of the things that were going on in our head that caused all of this worry are some little chicken little in there screaming, the sky is falling, when in reality it's not, that most of it won't even happen. To quote the great American philosopher, Tom Petty, in that song, Crawling Back to You, he said, most of the things I worry about never happen anyway. It's so true. Now, some of you are saying, but what about that 3%? Okay, so you're saying 97%, but there's that 3% of legitimate worries. Glad you asked. Let's talk about that. I want to give you a scripture, but before I do that, let me give you an illustration uh, from a movie I watched three or four years ago. The movie was called uh, Bridge of Spies. It was a Tom Hanks film. I don't think it did really well in the box office. It's a true story. It's a true story about a lawyer who was brokering these hostage negotiations between the United States and Russia in the Cold War of the 1950s. So Tom Hanks' character was a man named uh, James Donovan. He was a lawyer who did not want this role, was reluctantly thrust into this role of negotiating these hostage uh, you know, uh, talks. And the movie is about one of his clients that he has to represent, a Russian spy named uh, Rudolf Abel. And Rudolf Abel is hated by everybody. The United States hates him because he's a Russian spy. The Russians hate him because he got found on U.S. soil spying for them. So he's got everybody against him. And four or five times in this movie, there's this little dialogue exchange that's repeated between Donovan and Abel. When he's arrested, when he's incarcerated, when he's on trial, when he's, uh, they're negotiating this exchange, and when he has to walk across the bridge back into the hands of Russia and he doesn't know what the future holds. In all of these instances, Tom Hanks' character would, would ask this question, aren't you worried? And every single time, Abel, with this deadpan, emotionless face, not in a way of, of being kind of, um, I don't know, snarky or rebellious, more in this naive, innocent, childlike curiosity, would always answer this way. Would it help? He'd ask, are you worried? Like it never struck him. Well, would it help? And I wonder how many times we worry about things and, and we get all upset and maybe we ought to just stop and say, wait, 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 wait. Would it help? Would it help? Now, some of you have been worried all week that I wouldn't fill in the blank that we skipped last weekend. And I ask you, did it help? So, set your mind at ease. The blank we skipped last weekend is this. Worry doesn't work. It doesn't work. Even with that 3% of legitimate things that we have to worry about that actually will happen, that are a bit out of our control, worry doesn't change it. Worry doesn't make it better. Worry doesn't solve it. Worry simply doesn't work. In his most famous uh, sermon of all, when Jesus gave his Sermon on the Mount, he gives an extended amount of time to this topic of worry. It's in Matthew chapter 6. You ought to read it uh, and reread it. Some of you ought to memorize it. It's fantastic. But in this dialogue or monologue that he's given about worry, 
he throws out a rhetorical question that makes a statement. His question is this. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? In other words, how is worry going to enhance anything in your life? And psychologists and physicians will tell us that worry does just the opposite. Worry takes hours off of our life. Worry takes quality out of our life. Worry ruins our relationships. Worry doesn't work. A little side note, by the way, on this, and, and what I'm getting ready to say is in no way an endorsement of anyone's views politically or a judgment on anyone's character. Just a, a report. I heard this this week. About a month ago, Stephen Colbert uh, was on Oprah's Super Soul Gathering. And she was asking, uh, Oprah Winfrey was asking uh, Colbert why he had hope for America. And he told about a situation that happened years ago when his whole life was just racked with anxiety and he was in Chicago. And as he was walking down the streets of Chicago, someone handed him a Gideon's Bible. A Gideon handed him a little New Testament with the Psalms and Proverbs. He had kind of walked away from the faith of his childhood. He's filled with anxiety. And he says to Oprah, I opened the Bible up, this little Gideon's Bible that was handed to me on the streets of Chicago. I opened it up, and it fell to this verse. And he said, and I didn't read it. It's as if Jesus' words came off the page and said to me, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? He said, it changed my life. This idea that, that worry is going to somehow make things better. When we realize the impact of worry impacts us physically, it impacts us emotionally, it impacts us relationally, and it impacts us spiritually. Here's the crazy thing. Worry is irrational, it's illogical, and it's ineffective, and yet we continue to wor worry. Why is that? Well, maybe one of the reasons is because worry isn't logical. It's an emotional response. And I don't know if you've ever felt this way. When we're worrying with something that's completely out of our control, at least we feel like we're doing something. Like, why are you worrying? I don't know. I've got to be proactive. Well, well worry. Listen, worry is not a good strategy for fixing whatever problem you've got. But sometimes we do it just because, like, uh, I feel like I'm going to do something. I made you the promise last week that I don't want to in any way give cliche band-aid bumper sticker answers for something that's really severe i don't want to just sing don't worry be happy and we all walk out of here but i think god's word gives us something more than that that we can take action against anxiety that we can do more more than just sing a simple little song and, and try to pretend like it's not there neuroscientists will tell you that the part of your brain that is responsible for causing the stress reactions that part of your brain literally has the intelligence of a toddler. Those of you who've ever raised a toddler know that if a toddler is having an outburst, a reaction, a tantrum, logic is not the best approach. Come, let us reason together, my son. <laughs> it simply doesn't work. With a toddler, what you do is, hey, 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 whoa, whoa, squeaky, 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 and, it, and it's a distraction. That works with a toddler. And so many neuroscientists will say, when you're worrying, don't try to be logical about that. Just distract yourself. And that's all fine and good. The Bible goes a step even further beyond just distracting yourself with a squeaky toy, that there's something that we can do. And what we find in the Bible is in those times is that we, re we not just distract, but we replace, we replace all of this worry and all this anxiety and all this stress with something else. Now, um, we are going to look at 
in this passage that we're, we're spending these four weeks on, the verse that last week I mentioned, Amazon said, is the most highlighted verse in the Bible, most highlighted verse of any book uh, that, that the Kindle uh, carries. It's out of um, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, and it says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Don't just distract it. But replace it. Now, here's the interesting thing. This do not be anxious about anything. Some of your translations may say worry about nothing. Another way you could actually translate this literally is stop worrying. Which is all great, but that doesn't work if you just say stop worrying. I mean, you can't, how can I just stop worrying? You replace it. Now, if you've ever been in a, a counselor's office, ever read a book or been to a seminar about inner office uh, conversations and conflict and, and relationships, a communication. There's no doubt that you've heard, don't use absolutes. It, it causes people to get defensive. It draws lines. D don't say, well, you never, blah, blah, blah. You always, blah, 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 whatever. Every single time you, anything you ever Whatever you ever, you know, don't use those absolutes. It's like Paul skipped that class because he's all about these absolutes. And he comes in and basically says this, never worry about anything. Always pray about everything. Absolutes. Never do this. Always do this. Never worry about anything. Always pray about everything. And he just kind of lays it down. Now, before we go any further, I want to give kind of a little bit of an asterisk caveat about what this is not saying, what I am not saying, so that you don't get confused. This verse and what I'm going to talk about today is in no way suggesting, encouraging, or recommending irresponsibility. It's not talking about, about being apathetic towards things that need to be addressed. It's not talking about about procrastinating or, or not caring about important things. That's not what it's saying. The Bible tells us repeatedly, we are to live wise lives. So when you say, well, Bob said, you know, don't worry about anything, pray about everything. I was driving down the road and my car makes this awful rattle noise and it smells like burning oil. So I, Bob said, don't worry about it, just pray about it. Well, no, no, go to the mechanic, you idiot. What are you thinking? I mean, seriously. Why is it, hey, I got this raised mole that just keeps growing on the back of my neck. It's getting bigger by the week. But Bob said, don't worry about anything. Pray about anything. You can pray. You're going to see Jesus really quick if you don't go see a dermatologist and get that taken care of. You know, hey, all, these bills are all stacking up and the creditors are coming. But I'm just, I'm not worried. I'm just praying. About, go get a job and pay your stinking bills. Okay, do you understand what we're talking here? All right, I just want to make sure we're really clear. This is not endorsing a irresponsible, idiotic lifestyle. And then he says, you know, instead of worrying, this is what I want you to do. And he points these things out, prayer, petition, and request. So Thanksgiving, we'll get to that next week. Prayer, petition, and request. Now that, to me, sounds like and seems like the same thing. And maybe, again, it's Paul's style. He does those, he likes those songs that never end. This repetition is the, is the you know, the way to learn, whatever. I'm not a Greek scholar at all. Don't want to ever pretend that I am, unless I ever become one, but highly unlikely. I'm not worried about it. I'm just praying about it, that whole thing. Um, but those who are Greek scholars, uh, I read this in commentary, say that each of these 
have subtle nuanced differences. That yes, they seem to be the same thing, but there's a little bit of a difference with each of them. The first one, this, this, this thing of prayer, is a general topic about this, uh, a, a general word about this topic that we've spent a lot of time on this year. And in that, it would include things like praise, adoration, and worship. So one of the ways you could see this is to, is to not be anxious about anything, but instead replace your worry with worship, because that changes your focus. That when we worry, we're focused on these things that, that we're up against and things that may or may not happen, things that we're, may have no control. When we replace that with worship, it puts our focus on God. Remember last week, we studied rejoice in the Lord, not in the circumstances, in the Lord, and it's to focus on that. In two weeks, we're going to be talking about uh, meditation uh, on God's Word, so I don't want to get into that too far, but some of you hear the word meditate and say, well, okay, that's too Eastern, or I don't know how to do that. Listen to me. If you have ever worried in your life, you have meditated. Worry is negative meditation. Worry is when you are like a tea bag that is steeping in hot water. It just stays in there, and you just kind of get fixated on this. As you worry, that's, that's what meditation is. That's a negative form of it. Worry is, is like a piece of meat that's marinating in some kind of a sauce or whatever to get ready, and it just kind of soaks it on, just kind of goes into you. That's, that's, that's what that is. It's like, it's like a cow that chews its cud and just brings it up and ruminating on this again and again. That's meditation. Worry is very negative meditation. And this is saying, fix your eyes on God instead of your situation. When, when you're dealing with all your worries and all your anxieties, it's got your head down in your situation. Instead, point it up. In Psalm 121, this is one of those Psalms of Ascent that we talked about three weeks ago. Uh, the Psalms write, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? I know where my worries come from. I look down at all my stressors, but where does my help come from? I look my, my help comes from the Lord the maker of heaven and earth. To replace that worry and to refocus it on worship. See, this is one of the reasons that we encourage you to memorize scripture so that no matter where you are, no matter when it is, you can put your mind back on the truth of God's word. Some of the scriptures that we've memorized over the years, just to, to have those things. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice as we trust in his holy name. I'm going to put my hope in the Lord. You know, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. You know, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise in the wings of the dawn, sit on the far side. Even there, your hand will guide me. Rejoice in the Lord always. Worry about nothing. Be anxious about nothing. But in everything by prayer and petition. See, you just have these words in your mind so that in those times you can just refocus on the truth of God's word and worship that great God. It's another one of the great reasons why we worship together in songs every week. And to get those songs stuck in your mind, one of the wonderful things that our, our creative arts ministry does is uh, put that playlist on Spotify every week, the Monday to Sunday playlist, so that the things we're singing on the weekend, you have at your fingertips all week long, and you can just worship God with that. So in the midst of all of this worry and distraction, it's not just distracting your mind, it's replacing the worry with worship. And then it says, by prayer and petition. And some of your translations will say supplication. 
And that, I want to just say, is, is replacing our stress with supplication. Now, that's kind of a big word. It's kind of a fancy word, this supplication thing. But um, supplication has a, a sense of humility that goes with it. That when we come to the Lord, we don't come demanding things. We come humbly before him. And maybe part of that humility is confessing that, hey, I've been trying to do this on my own instead of looking to you and your strength and your power. Maybe part of that humility is saying, I haven't brought this to you because in my mind, God, you can't handle this. You're not big enough. And maybe part of that is just confessing that we haven't lifted up God as God. We haven't looked to him for the help. Now, Peter um, wrote a letter, and we'll get to this a little bit more in a, in a minute. But in this letter, he, he repeats this statement that you find throughout Scripture that's powerful if we could own it, that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And when we're in this time of worry and anxiety, man, we need God's grace more than ever. And so in 1 Peter 5, verse 6, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time, that we come before him and we humble ourselves and we recognize that his hand is mighty and he can handle whatever we're facing and we'll trust him in his timing. And so many times, we're wringing our hands and we ought to be bending our knees to just come humbly before God. And he says, everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, that's next week. Then he says, present your request to God. And that would be replacing our anxiety with asking, with asking God. You know, what is it that you're worried about? Ask God to help you with that. Here's a great exercise the next time you're, you're racked with worry and anxiety. Take out a piece of paper, or for some of you, an entire tablet. Take out a piece of paper, and at the top, write these words, worry list. And then, as the people in the, uh, in the, the experiment did, just write out every single thing that has you concerned, everything you're worried about, everything you're afraid about, everything you're stressing over, everything that makes you anxious. Be as detailed as possible. And at the end, you'll say, see, I have every reason to be anxious about this. I have every reason. To, this is legitimate worries. Then go to the top of your list, cross out the word worry, and write over it the word prayer. So you turn your prayer list, your worry list, into a prayer list. And all these things that have caused you to be worried, you take those to the Lord. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. His half-brother James said, you have not because you ask not. You haven't even asked. So ask. Bring these to Christ in prayer and give them to him. Now, we probably don't say this, but some of us, if we were honest, this is how we live with this kind of attitude. Why should I pray when I can worry? And maybe we ought to flip that around. Why should I worry when I can pray? God has given me this avenue to come to him in my time of need. The, the, the calm, the C-A-L-M. Last week we talked about the C, and that was celebrating God's goodness. The A is asking for God's help. It's this in everything, by prayer and petition, present your request, it's asking for God's help. And Jesus encourages us, to do that. He invites us to do that and to pray first. When we did the Pray First uh, series leading up to Easter, the last prayer we looked at was Jesus. 
And we looked at Jesus and we found that he didn't just have a prayer life, he had a life of prayer. In your reading of the Gospels, have you ever noticed how Jesus is never stressed? He's never worried. He's never afraid. He's never freaked out. He's never panicked. He's, he, he's never worried at all. You never see Jesus saying, you know, and then there were thousands who were like, what are we going to do? And not Jesus. The disciples, yes, and Peter especially, but not Jesus. You never see Jesus out on the boat like, whoa, the water's rough out here. We're dead. Not with Jesus. The disciples, yes. They're going to crucify me. No, no, no. The disciples, yes, not Jesus. Could it be that there's a direct correlation the prayer life of Jesus and the amount of calm that he faced life with? Now, there was a time when he was filled with great anguish, definitely in the garden, filled with great anguish to the point of sweating drops of blood. But what was he doing then in the midst of his anguish? He's praying. He's asking for God's mighty hand, submitting to him. You know, I think the disciples probably saw that, and it impacted their life. Again, Peter, the most, it seems to be, uh, at least from my reading of Scripture, the most impulsive, impetuous disciple, just always saying whatever comes across his mind, unfiltered, doing things. Jesus, what are we going to do? There's too many people. How are we going to send them home? You know, shall we kill this whole Samaritan town? Look at these waves. Hey, there's, let's cut that guy's ear off. You know, he's just like, whoa, whoa, Peter. He's just forever kind of trying to rein him in. And I wonder if over years with, with Jesus, Peter began to understand as he saw how Jesus calmly dealt with the storm on, this, on the Sea of Galilee. As, as Jesus calmly rescued Peter in his first attempt and only attempt, his successful couple steps of water walking, Jesus took care of that. Of how Jesus went through the trial and the crucifixion, and became victorious on the side. And maybe he saw that, and maybe he learned. Maybe he grew in the character of Christ. Maybe his temperament was such that his gentleness would be evident to all. And as he got older, maybe he just thought, you know what? I need to just calm down a little bit. So he writes this letter, Peter does, to these people who are being persecuted. They're going through difficult uh, suffering. And he writes these words to them in 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. This is something that Peter had to learn. All the things that you're stressed about, cast those on him. He cares for you. This word cast, the word cast is an intentional act of relocating something. And I like that definition. And when we impose that on here, intentionally relocate all your anxiety on him. Intentionally relocate all of your worries on him, all of your stress on him, all of your anxiety on him. Intentionally relocate that. Cast it all on him. When I hear the word cast, I think of fishing. Now, I'm not a big fisherman. I like to fish. I don't fish a lot, but when I was a kid, my brother and I, we, we loved to fish. We had a little Zebco fishing uh, rod and reels, and we loved to go fishing, Battleground Lake, Vancouver Lake, Burnbridge Creek, Salmon Creek, Klein Line. We, we'd go fishing anywhere. And in fact, well, I've got a, a fishing pole here. And, and the whole concept of, of casting is to intentionally relocate something. And with fishing, it's intentionally relocating 
whatever you have here, a worm, stink bait, a power bait, or a lure, or super duper, or a plug, or a jig, okay, never mind. It's to intentionally relocate that. This happens to be a squid, a squid that glows in the dark. And if we let this squid represent our worries, what Peter is saying is intentionally relocate this thing that even in the middle of the night reminds you it's here. It's glowing, saying, I'm still here. And he says, relocate that. Cast that. Now, this may be the worst idea I've ever had in my life. And those of you sitting on the aisle rows here, if you just put the link up in front of you, those of you in Boca Raton, be grateful there's a screen between me and you. Just be ready here. But he says, I want you to take all of your worries and all of your anxieties. And this really could be the worst thing I've ever done. <laughs> That's never stopped me before. And he says, and cast them. Cast them. Intentionally relocate them. Please let that go. <laughs> relocate it. Cast it on him. And if you're like me, you do. But then you start doing this. Well, I gave it to the Lord this morning, but by noon I've reminded myself of all the things that are going on and what possibly could happen and how this is going to play out and what it's going to mean for my kids and how this. And so we just kind of start, yeah, I cast it on the Lord, but I really, any show of hands, anyone ever do this? It's just me. Okay, several of you. And so then by the end of the day, you know what? Yeah, we did intentionally relocate it, but look right back where it is, ready to glow all night long and keep me awake. So he says, well, cast it. We all good? Don't worry. Just pray. You're fine. Cast it. And then, you know, it happens again. I reel it back in. My worries, my stress, my anxiety. Maybe that's why Paul says, with prayers and petitions, present your request like three times. Cast it. You know, there we go again. And have to do that over and over again. And you know what's interesting? Even if we're able to cast it and leave it out there, some of us, we have a full tackle box in. That's all right. I got more things I can worry about. <laughs> I said when I was young, my brother and I used to go fishing. And one of the places we fished was at Burnt Bridge Creek. It's where the creek dumped into Vancouver Lake. There was an old uh, railroad trussel. That's why I got the name Burnt Bridge because it's all burnt. And we go fishing there. Now, my brother liked fishing. He was a good fisherman. I got bored. If we weren't catching fish, I got bored. Started throwing rocks. And he always said, go away. That you're scaring the fish. And one day we were at Burnt Bridge Creek, and we were fishing, and the fish weren't biting. We were down by the trussel, and we were fishing. And I got bored, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to just practice casting and see how far I can cast. And though I didn't understand physics, I somehow figured out that whatever was on the end, if it was heavier, it went farther. So I went to the tackle box, and we had like this big piece of lead, like for drifting steelhead. We'd never fished for steelhead in our lives. Why we had this, I don't know. But I took this big piece of lead, and I put it on the end of my, on my uh, line, and I was like getting ready to, like, this one's going to be the world record. You know, back, and I'm going to cast this thing, my little Zebco, and it just pulled the rod right out of my hand. <laughs> Those of you who've been around here long enough know that my first reaction would be to... No. <laughs> Cry. Of course. 
pray. <laughs> yeah, right. So I'm going to cry in my brother anyway. But my pole, I couldn't reel it back in. So my pole was in the water. And I think maybe when he says this, he's saying like, like cast it in and throw the pole and throw the tackle box behind it. Just get rid of it. Cast all, like everything that's in there, all your anxieties. Relocate all of them on him because he cares for you. Don't just try to distract your mind. God has given us this incredible gift of prayer that we can replace our worry and our stress and our anxiety. Now, I, I want to just real quickly talk to those of you. Last week, and I talked about the, the anxiety continuum, the, like the spectrum of anxiety. And those of you who are on this upper end, for some of you, it's a chronic condition. It's something you deal with every single day. For some of you, it's just, it's just like it really is, is crippling for you. Can I just talk to you for a minute? And again, like I said last weekend, I don't want in any way downplay this, diminish the reality of this in your life. You may or may not be aware, but the Apostle Paul had this thing in his life. He refers to it cryptically as a thorn in the flesh. And for years, people have debated what was this thing that he had that he had to deal with, that he was pleading with God to take it away. And, and we won't go into all the speculations of what that could be. But for today's uh, case and, and, and purposes, hypothetically, what if? What if this thorn in the flesh that, that Paul would plead with the Lord to take away, what if he dealt with anxiety, panic, worry, fear, stress, like some of you do? What if that was the thing that he kept saying, God, if you would just take this away from me, now, I'm not saying it was, but what if? And I think you could even build a case for that. I mean, look what he writes in 1 Corinthians. He says, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. I was scared to death. I was having a panic attack when I came to you. Or in another letter, it says, some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person, he's unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. You know why? Because I'm scared to death. My stomach's in a knot. I'm sweating like crazy. That's why. Or when he asked the Ephesians to pray for him, pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Why? Because I'm scared to death every time I preach the gospel. What if his thorn in the flesh was this crippling anxiety? And he prays and he says, I pleaded with the Lord. For the Lord to take it away, you can imagine his pleading if that's the case. God, I could be so much more effective for your kingdom and for the gospel. I could make such a bigger impact if you would just take this away. And you remember the response in 2 Corinthians. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, hey! Well, then, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. If this means that I can be more dependent on Christ, if this means that I am focused more on prayer and worship, if this means I can't go on my own strength, if this means that Christ's power can be manifest even more so in my weakness, this is fantastic. And that maybe, just maybe, this whole worry and anxiety for some of you, 
is a benefit disguised. That worry can be a trigger. Worry can be a trigger to remind you to worship God. Worry can be a trigger to remind you to rely on God. Worry can be a trigger to remind you to lean into him, to depend on him, to pray to him, to come to him again and again and again. See, the whole thing, he says, there is things to worry about, no doubt, but turn your worry list into your prayer list and replace worry by worshiping God and your, your stress with this, this humble supplication and all of your anxiety by asking and cast all of it, intentionally relocate all of it onto him because he cares for you. I want to encourage you to continue on with the card. Some of you uh, got the card last week to continue reading these verses each day, uh, memorizing them. If you didn't get the card, we have more available you can get on your way out as we continue in this and to live this life that is calm in the midst of our chaos. Um, I've asked the the team to close this. Why don't you stand uh, as we sing this song that talks about this amazing grace of God, and then I'll close this in prayer.